All right, so as we um, continue our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 25. That's questions 65 through 68, and that's on page 882 of the Psalter Hymnal. Eight, eight, two. Well, why don't we begin by reading these questions uh, together? I'll ask the question and then ask that you guys respond with the answer. Question 65. It is by faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does that faith come from? What are sacraments? Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? How many sacraments? Did Christ institute in the New Testament? Two. All right, so um, as we get into Lord's Day 25, you'll notice that there's a, a bit of a transition that's taking place in the Catechism. Um, what came before, uh, we talked about. Uh, Faith, we talked about justification, we talked about sanctification and good works. Um, and now, here we talk initially about faith and how faith comes, but then that leads us into a discussion of the sacraments. Um, if you look forward a little bit in the coming weeks, you'll notice that um, there's a number of weeks, I mean, up until Lord's Day 30, uh, that's concerned with the sacraments, that's concerned with baptism in the Lord's Supper. And this week, uh, we're not looking at the sacraments in particular. That will be taken up in the next coming weeks. But we're looking at the sacraments in general as an introduction uh, to what the sacraments are, what the sacraments do, uh, and so, I'm sure that you all have questions about baptism and the Lord's Supper and how those things work and all, all different things about that. Know that we will not cover all of that today. We are just talking generally uh, about the sacraments as we work 
uh, through Lord's Day 25. All right. So let's look then at question 65. The question asks where that faith comes from. Right? It is by faith alone that we share in Christ and his benefits, which we have been looking at over the past number of weeks. If you think back to the prior to the weeks that we missed uh, having Sunday school. But the question and the, the bridge really to talk about uh, the word and the sacraments uh, ask the question, where does faith come from? So this faith alone that you say that we need to have in order to be beneficiaries of the salvation that we have in Jesus, well, where does that faith come from? What is the means, we might say, by which we come to have this saving faith. And so, let me ask you, where does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit, right? That's, that's how the answer begins, right? The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts. Okay? And now, then we talk about the means. And so, one of the questions we need to ask about... Uh, the faith that we have and the faith that we are called to have uh, is regarding the preaching of the word. Okay? Now, to whom is the word to be preached? Right? The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and he works by the preaching of the gospel. To whom is that gospel to be preached? Everyone, right? To all people, indiscriminately? Or are there certain people that we should preach the gospel to and certain people that we shouldn't? Spurgeon said to preach the gospel to the world so the elect may Yeah, because that always becomes a question, right? When you start talking about uh, the nature of salvation and you start talking about election and you start talking about the application of salvation there's always that kind of question well is it right that we preach to people and say Jesus died for you when we know that in that group there may be people that Jesus didn't die for in that way right so what we need to recognize and what we see throughout scripture and we'll get to those scriptures in a minute is that there's not a certain subset of people that we preach the gospel to based on their likelihood to respond, nor are there certain nationalities or races that we preach to. That's one of the, that's one of the uh, major points that's made in the epistles, is that Christ is for all, both Jew and Gentile. Right? All peoples. For God so loved the world, and I think the world there isn't, uh, isn't necessarily talking about each and every individual, but really what uh, John is saying there, what Jesus is saying there, is it's for everyone. It's for the entire world. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, uh, and race. Now, many people, it seems 
have the idea that we're born again because of a decision that we make to accept Christ. Tell me, is that true? Are we born? Who said no? Raise your hand and say it proudly. (laughs) No. No. It's not true. Our regeneration, and we've talked about this in the past couple weeks, right? We've talked about regeneration, we've talked about new birth, and now we're trying to get at where that new birth comes from. And it's not coming by a decision that we particularly make because we heard the gospel and we believed it, and therefore God revives us. And so the question here, and the question that this, that this catechism question is getting at, right? where then does that faith come from, is asking the question, wherein lies the decisive act of faith? So where, who makes the decisive act of faith? Right. Right, Because the question is, is it me who makes the decisive act of faith? Or is it God that makes the decisive act on my behalf? Right, so, we're, so we're looking at the ultimate reason for whether or not we believe the gospel of Jesus. Right? Does it rest in man or does it rest in the sovereign work of God? If that's the case, then what sets apart the believer from the unbeliever? So so faith, my trusting, believing in what is preached in the gospel, receiving and resting upon Christ alone as he's offered to me, If that's my work, then do I have something to boast about compared to my neighbor who slept in this morning? Is there room to boast? Why not? Why is there no room to boast? What was that? It's a gift from the Lord. Lord. You got any scripture for that? (laughs) It's a scripture that we keep going back to, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Perhaps for us Reformed people, this seems pretty obvious, right? Perhaps to us, we recognize, yeah, the Holy Spirit works faith in us. That's, that's how it works. But I don't think that's the case in a lot of places in Christendom. I don't think necessarily that you're going to get that answer from a lot of people who say that they're Christians. Now, I'll offer a helpful, what I think is a helpful illustration, whether or not you think it's helpful is up to you. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit comes and breathes life, right? The Spirit breathes life. So the Spirit of God comes... 
And he comes to dead sinners. Think of Ezekiel's valley of dry bones. Right? They're, they're bones. They have no life in them. There's no real potentiality of life. It's dead. But the Spirit of God comes by the preaching of the gospel that gives life in God exhaling to the person. And as a result, what happens to that person? As God exhales his breath of life, that person inhales that breath of life and becomes a living being. I think that's a helpful way to understand the nature of faith. As God exhales by his spirit through the word preached, those who receive it as the spirit comes effectually into them, they receive it, and that reception is reception of faith. Right? It, it coincides with what God is doing, but God's act is prior. Right? God's spirit goes forth. The human being who is, was dead, who has been gifted with that life-giving spirit, now breathes the breath of life and continues to breathe now and forevermore spiritual breath. I think that's a helpful way to, for us to understand the nature of what God does in giving us new life, rebirth uh, by his spirit through the word preached. And so we might say then that as that exhale from God comes, the inhale from us is the act of faith, the reception of life. And we live and move in that spirit-wrought faith that's been given to us. Now, I, I want to take, I want to go two places with that in talking about how the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. Um, that illustration I use, I'm not just getting it out of nowhere, but I think that it's an illustration that Scripture gives us. Genesis 2.7, if we look there, it says that, And then the Lord God formed man of, dust, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. He was not alive, and then God acted, and he was alive. Paul actually makes this connection for us. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it is written, the first man became a living being, the last Adam, who is Jesus, became life-giving spirit. Okay, so we have the, the beginning of life, as we call, you know, ordinary physical life, but then Christ comes as the spirit to give us spiritual life for those who are spiritually dead. Now think of that in light of what Jesus says in John 3. Jesus, said, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? What a good question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so I want to see us to see that connection there between what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about Jesus as the life-giving Spirit, and what Jesus is saying here in John 3, in terms of the Spirit coming and blowing and causing uh, us those who hear him to be born again. Any other examples in Jesus where we recognize that faith, which is requisite to receive salvation, right? Any places where Jesus speaks about faith and it being a work of God. That's true. Yeah. Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah. Yeah, and if we go further in there, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right? So that's God's act where we talk about effectual calling, right? God effectually calling someone dead to life. The Father who sent me draws him. Now, some would say, well, God draws everyone in the same way. Well, that can't be true because Jesus then continues on and says, all who are drawn are raised on the last day. And so unless you're willing to say that all, everyone, is raised on the last day, we must make a distinction between who it is that God draws. So next time, when you... Okay, Ray, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll never turn them away. Right. Yeah. When Peter declares Jesus as the Christ, he says, it is not flesh that reveals to you, but when my father can reveals. Right, exactly. Any other examples? I, I don't get an example, but the, the analogy which you made about God, exploration, us inspiration. I think it's really good, but just like many analogies, it falls down because even our inspiration, God is the one enabling us. Yeah. Right. And that's right, and, and that's that's what we need to recognize. We can't just say, oh, God gave me a little prevenient grace. Like God just gave me the the the, the jump start that I needed, but rather that we continue in that breathing process because God continues to cause us to breathe. And, and that's the mystery. That's the marvelous picture of our God, how, how much he, he does for us all the time. It's all of Right. No, Jen, that's really helpful. All right, so the Holy Spirit works 
in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel. Um, so we recognize here, even in the way that the Catechism talks about it, the Holy Spirit does not just work faith in anyone's heart at any time indiscriminately apart from means, right? And that's an important point, and that's, that's where the Catechism is going to talk about what we call the means of grace, right? There are certain means, certain things that are used by God to convey His grace, So the word preached is the means by which God converts and convinces sinners of their sin and offers to them the gospel of Jesus, right? That's what we we call that a means of grace. So let's think about that for a second, the gospel preached. Romans 10, 17, probably that central passage that might be running through your head the na- about the nature of faith, right? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so how then does the Holy Spirit work faith in our hearts? By the preaching of the gospel. So that, so that God is using means in order to bring us to faith. Does the Spirit, maybe you'll, you ask this question, does the Spirit use other means, or does the Spirit work apart from means? Can someone believe on the Lord Jesus Christ without the Word? Ray, go ahead. Yeah, but there, but there's some content there, right? There has to be some content there to recognize who Jesus is, whether he heard it before, or whether Jesus said other things to him as he's on the cross. So he was being crucified right next to the word incarnate. Yeah. So, yeah, Martha, there is that. (laughs) Uh, But I think that what we need to recognize here is that the Spirit is not... We need to be careful to say that the Spirit is bound to the Word in some, some subservient kind of way but recognize, as our own confession says, ordinarily, ordinarily, it is through the preaching of the gospel. There has to be content there. So, so the word has to be met with the spirit in order for faith to come. Right? The word, apart from the spirit, does what? Nothing. It's not the word that does it. It's the word accompanied by the Spirit of God that causes the miracle of new birth. And, and that's uh, uh, one of the things that we need to see in the way that the Catechism lays this out for us. Here's what's reminding me. The lady I've worked with, 
used to teach comparative religions at uh, Southern New Hampshire and a couple other colleges, and um, she, she was Jewish. And she knew the word. Yeah. She could quote New Testament, Old Testament better than I could, and she could point to all the Old Testament prophecies and say, you Christians say this points to Christ. And she knew it all, but it was just all intellectual. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly the point, right? Yeah, Glenn. Just thinking of a passage, and I looked it up. First Thessalonians one five. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Yes, that's exactly right. Jen, go ahead. And this future statement—it's not telling us anything. But the work of from the Spirit does do something in the sense that it brings condemnation to those who are not alive. Yeah, yeah, it would. But they don't even need but they don't even need the word to be right, to right, because Romans one tells us that all creation bears witness to the fact that we stand condemned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It 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 brings that confirmation, uh, telling us, showing, the where that heart is. Right. Yeah. Right. Any other thoughts about the preaching of the holy gospel before we move on to the sacraments? I mean, obviously, there's way more that could be said. All right. Um, so the Holy Spirit works it in our hearts that it is faith by the preaching of the gospel, the holy gospel, and confirms it by the use of the holy sacraments. Here we see that the sacraments are used to confirm the holy gospel. Any initial thoughts about that? Any initial general thoughts about sacraments? Any concerns about using the term sacrament? Yes. I was having a thought about how um, God is so good to remember our frailty, our form, our physicalness, in that the Holy Spirit, who I, I that's the part of the truth, I have a hard time really valuing the Holy Spirit is the one who's touching our senses, our humanity, our ears, hearing the word, the water of the baptism, the taste, yeah. the food. And, and God is so good to us in that he reminds us who he is by reminding us in these, like it says, tangible ways. And I'm trying to now remember that that is the Holy Spirit who's confirming that. And to try to get a better grasp of an understanding of the triune God that way. Yeah. No, that's exactly right, because the sacraments aren't declaring to us anything that the gospel is not already declaring, right? There's not something, there's not some different kind of grace that's tied up in the sacraments. 
but rather, and I think that the, I, I like the way that Heidelberg talks about them as confirming, right? They're, they're confirming the gospel to us, right? We, we often talk about the sacraments as being visible words, because right, apart from the word, like, you know, we'll, we'll use the words of institution when we do a baptism or when we do the Lord's Supper. Because we recognize that the sacraments are inextricably tied to the word. There's no power in those that the, the sacraments themselves. It's not some type of ritual that in the working of that particular work that it does something or conveys something, right? That was something that the Reformed during the Reformation were acutely aware of and wanted to distance themselves from. Let me just give a, one example of uh, a sacrament here. This being the sacrament of circumcision from the Old Testament, as Paul talks about it in Romans 4.11, and we'll make some observations about the nature of sacraments. He's talking about um, Abraham here. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted for them as well. There's two particular words in that verse that we use all the time when we talk about sacraments. We talk about sacraments being a sign, and we talk about sacraments as being a seal. A sign and a seal. What did circumcision in this particular instance what was it a sign and seal of for Abraham Ray yeah so the symbolism of the sign itself speaks to that but what is the thing that is spiritually signified so that is what lies behind the sign what spiritual reality? The promise. The righteousness that he had by faith is the thing that the sign shows, right? While he was yet uncircumcised. So again, the sacraments don't convey anything, something that is different than the word. They are signs and seals of the gospel that is preached, but they do add something. There's something that the sacraments add. There's a reason why we have sacraments. What do they add? Well, as Heidelberg says, and if we went into our confession, and if we went into our catechisms, we'd see similar language that the sacraments confirm to us the word proclaimed. So the word comes out generally and the sacraments confirm to each of those who receive that word by faith. Right? What is required of those who would receive the Lord's Supper? Faith. Faith. Right? And so what you're saying when you're taking the Lord's Supper, and I'm not saying... I'll, okay. When, what, what is being said when you're taking the Lord's Supper... 
is that you belong to Jesus. That's what's being confirmed upon you. That the, the word that I just heard is God's word to me. Not because I said it's God's word to me, but because God says it's God's word to me. And I receive it by faith. And so, simply, the sacraments provide assurance and reassurance that we belong to Jesus. And like you were saying, it, it does it in these sensible signs, right? It, it does it in the simplicity of water. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? It does it with bread and juice or bread and wine, right? Ray. You say that the Catholic Church uses baptism as a sign and seal that you'll go to heaven, like guaranteed spot. It, yet, yet, circumcision and baptism really just say, you're part of the covenant of children of God. It doesn't save you. Well, good point, because that's where I'm going, actually. So I want to talk about, for a second, and I know we're getting short on time, the sign and the thing that it signified, right? The sign of circumcision... And what it signified was righteousness by faith. Okay? Westminster Confession of Faith 27.2 There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation, a sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. So here, Ray, this is what I was thinking of when you said that. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, as Peter's talking about the ark and those saved uh, through the waters of judgment in the ark, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can that be? Baptism which corresponds to this thing that I was talking about, it now saves you. Uh-oh, we got a problem here. No, this is what, this is what the, the confession of faith talks about when it says that there is a spiritual relation. There is an inter, interpenetration of, this, of these, the sign and the thing signified so that there is a sacramental union. Now, we don't get a definition of, well, what is a sacramental union? We have to look at what Scripture says about the thing signified, that is salvation of G in Jesus... And the sign itself that is baptism and the Lord's Supper and recognize that there's an interrelationship between those things so that you can rightly say that baptism now saves you. Because we recognize that there's a correspondence between the, the, the sign and the thing signified. Now you're going to say to me, well, you're just talking in circles. No, kind of. I recognize that. But we have, to, we have to hold these things together in our minds. There's nothing else in this world like a sacrament. I cannot do a liturgical dance 
up here on Sunday morning, which I don't think that you guys would like that much, not only because it would be awful, but it probably wouldn't be decent and in good order. But I, I can't come up here and do a liturgical dance and, and say that, oh, this is a sacrament, because the scripture doesn't give me any promise tied to it. Right? But these sensible things, the water and the bread and the wine, to them is tied promises. So that these particular things, out of everything else in the world, these particular things done this particular way, received by faith, these are for your spiritual good. And these things confirm to you that you belong to Jesus and that he is yours. Right? It's, 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 it's an, an extraordinary thing. There's nothing else like it. And so we need to be okay saying, this is an extraordinary thing and there's nothing else like it. And it's not just a matter of, oh, well, if I could only explain it and understand it. It's not just about understanding and explaining what baptism is and what the Lord's Supper is. It's about partaking of it, right? Receiving it, being nourished by it, right? And so, Ray... Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. All right. I think we're going over time. I guess one last point to make here, and then we'll pick up this and then get into more detail next week, um, is to talk about the directedness of the sacraments. This is going to be important when we start talking about baptism in particular and arguments about to whom baptism should be administered. What is the directedness of the sacraments? Right, they're directed from God to man. Okay, I don't necessarily want to go very far into that except to say that and then we'll speak more uh, particularly about that when we look at the sacraments uh, in their fullness as the catechism uh, speaks to it. And so I'm going to end there because I don't want to get into any of the other things that we have. Any particular questions or general questions? Um, I know I kind of leave you hanging because we didn't get into the particularities, but that's not my fault. You can blame it on, you can blame it on the catechism. Any questions? Yeah, Martha. As Jim was saying, the word which means that there is condemnation. I agree with her. There is condemnation. The sacraments also bring condemnation. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the case, right? So in the Lord's Supper, there is the warning, and if you eat and drink unworthily, you're guilty of the body and blood of Christ, right? The same thing's true of baptism, just as it was true of circumcision, right? That for those who don't lay hold of the promise that has been placed upon them, that sign is not a sign of blessing, but becomes then a sign of curse, right? Jen, go ahead. I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I 
Yeah. The, the seal, that word, in most people's minds means self-evident. They're going to be saved. And I know man's responsibility comes into this. It all has to be ultimately done by faith. And yeah. so I guess, I don't have a question, but those two words are really hard to explain. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that, especially we talk about that in baptism, right? So as we delve into talking about baptism in particular, we can talk about how those things relate to one another. Thanks, Jen. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, your saints here with eagerness uh, to know your word. Lord, to know how you have revealed yourself. Lord, I pray that uh, even as we speak about these things, uh, that our hearts would be stirred to know you more. Uh, not simply that we could puff ourselves up with knowledge, but Lord, that we would know and love you. That we would trust you all the more. And that Lord, you would build us up in our faith as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We ask in his name. Amen.